Welcome to Frontline Nursing, a NurseMinder production that gives you an insider's look into the daily life of nurses on the front lines. Whether you're considering nursing as a profession, you're currently studying nursing, or maybe a nurse looking to transition to a new population, this show will give you some behind the scenes information to help you guide your career. Today's episode is all about diversifying your nursing career and creating a way to foster a variety of interests. Today we have a special guest who's involved in clinic nursing, community nursing initiatives and innovation and politics. So get those note apps and pens and papers ready because this is gonna be a good one. Today on Frontline Nursing, we are joined by Dakota Druard, an LPN who's been making her name, making a name for herself in many friends of nursing. Welcome to the show, Dakota. Hi, Sammy. Hey, so good to have you on here. I'm really excited and interested to get into our conversation today. And I always just like to start with getting a sense of what brought you into nursing in the first place. Um, so basically, I kind of started my career um, uh, just going in and out of school. So bachelor of undecided. Um, <laughs> at the same, yeah, of course. Uh, at the same time, I was working um, in a lot of different areas, um, but one that kind of, uh, I guess brought me into the nursing um, and public health sector would be the community aspect. So I was working for a lot of nonprofit organizations with very vulnerable populations. And so that kind of um, made me start like asking questions of like, um, where is all this stemming from? And then it was all tying into health and health and health. So every, all of these social determinants were all tied into how um, I guess their overall health and wellness, which is different for everyone, but I just kept asking the questions why, which kind of led me into my nursing career um, from those nonprofit organizations and um, vulnerable populations in the inner city, working in inner city organizations and things like that. And what kind of roles did you have when you were in that population before you went into nursing that really connected you there? Um, so I did everything from uh, child care in nonprofit organizations um, to one-on-one um, -on -one assisting with uh, kids who were um, in preschool programs that were maybe um, needing a little bit of, of support and help, whether it was in speech development, um, motor functions, fine motor skills, uh, things like that. Um, and then getting to know families and, and the children. So it was kind of that um, family-centered care, but it started working in like child care and school settings. So that was kind of the first first step into working more into the community and looking to see where those paths were going after. Um, I've even seen some of those kids from oh, almost 15 years ago now and they're teenagers and working at Home Depot when I go and pick something up around my house. So it's really crazy to come full circle and to see how someone's started out as you know three years old and has come to this so I know they're bridging into adulthood that's how I feel when I watch all you guys grow up <laughs> I, was, I was so shocked yeah so it was just you know, someone driving their car and they you know couldn't even tie their shoes so yeah it was the huge I guess watching it come full circle is we don't get to see a lot of that in our lives the full circle when you are actually in someone's life, but to see that maybe one thing that you said to them or one thing that you did or something that they said to you impacted everything else in your life, so. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. And um, were you in contact with a lot of healthcare professionals in those roles? Like you'd mentioned speech language pathology and stuff. So did you have opportunity to talk with them and see them and observe them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'd have public health nurses in. Um, we had, yes, our SLPs, our OTs, um, and then 
Um, who else did I really consult with a lot? Um, we consulted with a lot of public health nurses a lot just to do like fun education um, workshops and things like that. And then a lot of students, we'd invite the students to come down and maybe do some of their projects and stuff with us, which turned into really cute little sessions for the kids and stuff. So that, yeah, that was kind of like a first introduction there, so. That's awesome. So then when you went into nursing school, did you have an idea of what kind of nursing you wanted to do when you first started? And how did that morph into where you are today? You know, funny enough, I actually, so I, I started at McEwen in Bachelor of just undecided open studies. And then I actually did start my RN program at McEwen um, before <laughs> doing that. And then I, I was just sidetracked with just all the studies that you could do. Um, and then I just, I needed to focus. So that's when I actually made the switch uh, and I went and did my LPN program, two-year program, and it was it was just a good program for me. It kept me on point. I didn't have to decide, you know, which course I was going to do when. It was just mm -hmm. very structured, and it was very, very good because I, on top of that, I did continue kind of um, the working in the career side of where does this all lead, so. Okay. And so now let's get, dig into some of those different hats that you wear. Where would you like to start? Which one do you want to talk about first and let our listeners know a little bit about what a typical day looks like for you? For sure. Um, so I guess maybe I'll, I'll talk about maybe the community side a little bit. So mm -hmm. after working with children, um, I jumped into adolescents and young adults and I worked in community settings and I found that mental health and addictions was um, one of the priorities regardless of the setting. If it was a residential setting and a group home setting or if it was um, a program or service being utilized, I felt that that was um, a lot of underlying issues were, were stemming from mental health and addiction. So it wasn't necessarily that I was assisting with someone with mental health and addictions, but sometimes that always kind of came up. So then I started finding a passion for trying to intertwine my nursing career and my passion for nursing and helping others into how can I bring this down to out of an acute setting or how, out of a clinic setting and into a community setting. Um, and I think the word community is just not really well defined, um, but we have so many of these community programs that aren't utilized as a health facility, but really that's someone's, that's someone's primary care facility right there. We just don't really realize it, I guess. Um, I, we look at the Boyle, uh, sorry, uh, we look at some health centers um, such as the Boyle, Boyle Macaulay Health Center, um, and that is a, a really strong one that I did um, as I was teaching <laughs> later down in my career, um, that I would have students per, like preceptor at or go volunteer with, um, just to have a, a well-rounded um, perspective for where health can lead, um, where working in community settings can lead, and how really I think health is intertwined into almost everything that we do. You're right, community is such a broad umbrella. Yeah. There's so much within community itself. I mean, you could be a community nurse for your life and have probably 20 different careers within that yeah. industry and working with the the mental health population and the outreach for you know homeless people are really valuable places we need people like you there for sure <laughs> i used to work outreach as well and that patient population is so appreciative of anybody who really looks at them as a human yeah exactly. and considers that totality of care and how the absence of some of those pieces is contributing to their illness what were some of the biggest deficits that you noticed um you know what i think it was people when I talked to individuals uh, and when I was assisting them, it was basically them not even 
having a good understanding of what health is. And health is, I think, so um, individual. Mm-hmm. So that um, health to one is not necessarily good health to another. Um, but we're so, it's just what it, what it means to us. So what I found was someone's definition of health uh, was always changing. Um, and then to get someone to a baseline of health where they could recognize um, how to better improve um, health, which then branched into mental health and wellness and um, nutrition factors and then um, positive thinking and attitudes and just trying to get themselves out of out of places that maybe they were stuck and and really it all was coming down to these like health aspects of just how people were defining health for them you know um i had one girl and she's still always in my life um this is more of a a supportive and she's always you know sometimes there's hospitalization sometimes not but um health to her was i i valued her health maybe more than her at times so for her to be able to recognize what that health was um, and those are things that she's always trying to, to, I guess, work on now. So whether there was a point where she was homeless, so always trying to maintain good health and hygiene. And um, if she was at a different point in her life where there was proper housing, then it was working on schooling and, and creating a positive mindset and, and positive habits. So it was really, it was everything that I was working with, um, with individuals was coming down to health and how, how I could help. And then intertwining that with my nursing career, I was um, maybe a good support in those settings. I could give them, you know, a little piece of um, inpatient hospitalizations um, and experiences coming from inside um, and then bringing my community setting and experiences and really just defining a whole new perspective for me that I could pass on um, care in a different way to individuals. So um, it's actually really benefited me now working in um, the hospital settings and clinics um, and then with other initiatives that I've been doing just to have all these perspectives that other people have given me and experiences and then developing that into this I guess I'm still developing this into into something more but you bring a really interesting perspective um, one that I hadn't even considered uh, before myself so kudos to you I mean not that I've experienced everything but talking about the definition of health you know, we have our definition in our textbooks and what we believe health to be, and we come from our own experiences, background, and status where we are currently in life. And just hearing you talk about whether it was just basic hygiene or if it was safety or if it was food, but um, Erickson's hierarchical development yeah. chain, whatever that's called, and I can't remember Erickson's steps, that really brings it into forefront how important it is to have those basics. And you can't achieve socialization if you don't have self-hygiene or if you don't have a safe place because you're so busy focused on those elements yeah those yeah the social- sorry i was gonna ask did you find that to be a little bit of an ethical or a moral strain trying to nurse from where you were and meet them where they were at definitely so um it was it was about defining like what i could do what i was allowed to do and the scope uh so it was, it was tricky um because coming having some experience in what people were seeing um when they were like at an at-home setting or what home was to them, and then seeing them in acute placement, it was, it's night and day. Um, treatment is different, um, habits are different, um, every, everything is so different. So then bringing that in and trying to really, you know, so if I was in an acute setting and uh, I recognized that someone was maybe 
uh, homeless or something. So then we'd have to get you know social work involved, and a whole, it would become more of a complex discharge. But then it was like, well, what what happens after that person is discharged if their baseline wasn't having a home to begin with? So you start to ask these questions, and then I already knew these answers because I work community, and so I I would tell people you need to go see your healthcare professional and then I'd come and get them on the other side and so I would know what happened on both sides maybe not the same individual but um, I would definitely see both sides of it um, so definitely um, pulled on my heartstrings a lot <laughs> and yeah. then just I guess it kind of was eye-opening and it just makes me want to try and do more um, and maybe try and ask more questions and see if there is something that we haven't tried yet. Like, have we tried everything that's possible to assist in these areas? I, I don't know, but I'm going to keep asking questions and find out. That's great. Um, that's probably what led you to the political vein, but just before we go there, I just want to share that I also found that there were gaps between, not that the care that we could provide the homeless population, but the care that they felt was reasonable. You know, I would do blood pressure clinics or um, blood glucose clinics, and if those were abnormal, I'd want to send them to the hospital, but I would often hear from them, I can't afford to go there because they're going to discharge me and I have no way to get back here. And even though you educate them about, you know, we'll give you a cab ride and all those things, but they're like, but then I'm going to lose my space in the shelter this evening if I can't get here on time and I won't have a meal or there's all these different dynamic pieces that they have to consider in their world that is outside of my awareness that became a huge gap and it was an area of interest for me as well back back in those days yeah yeah no it's really interesting yeah there's you know um just just deciding like yeah you're right we know that there's a line where we're like okay you should probably go and see a professional you should take it one step further and then to think about what that means for someone that's not just hopping in a car going to that appointment telling them your life story and coming back it's this is my life story and it's still ongoing and there's still needs not being met. So how do you, you know, how do you tell someone good hygiene and proper nutrition and good exercise and sleep is, you know, hey, that's great for, for a diabetic or a pre-diabetic because uh, all of those things will attribute to positive health, but when you don't have the basics, and yeah. what's a doctor's appointment at that point going to do when you have to revert back to what you know? Yeah, yeah when they don't have a house, they don't have a washroom. And I've experienced it myself in our city where I've gone into an establishment asking to use the washroom and I've been denied because it's a members only place. And I'm like, I felt so marginalized and I couldn't even imagine what those who are actually living in that system of homelessness feel like just trying to get a washroom break, a shower, you know? I always feel that there's a stigma associated that you're marginalized just because of how you're walking, how you're looking, even where you came out of. Did you just come out of the LRT shelter or did you just... So yeah, it really, it really makes a huge difference in their life. Yeah, I consider those basics of life and I can't believe that they would be denied to anybody. So was that a little bit about the, um, I know we started talking about the homeless population and your passion there and how you got into the mental health side a little bit. Was this part of the innovation challenge that you're doing with the Canadian Foundation for Healthcare? It is actually. So um, basically the Canadian Foundation for Healthcare Improvement decided that they were going to ask Canadians um, it didn't matter if you were um, just a patient population group or representative, or if you were just a lone nurse with an idea, or if you were a physician with a whole team of researchers behind you. Um, they were just asking the question um, based on a few indicators that are really predominant. So a lot of uh, the indicators that they were looking to see if anyone had ideas about um, 
a lot were in um, geriatrics, so the home care aspect, um, and a lot had to do, and the other side of it was a lot had to do with mental um, health addictions, um, uh, youth, uh, I think, it, I believe it was um, hospitalization um, in, in youth under 18 for mental health, and then I think there was um, an indicator about suicide as well. So um, I, my indicator was mental health and addictions, awareness and navigation through the system. Um, and the idea was that you could take your idea and they start very small, but then possibly um, you could create some sort of universality um, and, and spread this across Canada where they could take this idea and create their own individualized city tailored or province tailored or community tailored programming to actually better support this indicator and the needs of those individuals. And so was this um, like a study from somebody higher you were one of the people who were asking the questions or were you involved in some of the design and planning of this? So this was just my idea and then I brought some others into this idea. Um, so I said, you know what, let's go with this indicator. Let's tell them what we're kind of thinking about. Um, and our initial idea had changed. At first we were just more research-based. We we're just gonna ask the questions. And so we actually went out in the community, found the populations that we wanted um, and that we were looking for and we were asking questions. It was just a simple paper survey. And then I started spreading the survey out um, online. And I was getting, I guess the demographics that I was seeing coming in were, were so different, yet the answers were all the same. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, it was, it was really surprising. So I didn't, it was all anonymous. So I didn't know exactly who was filling out the surveys, um, but a couple questions um, assisted in, and I could kind of maybe create a population out of, out of it. Um, so I would ask a question like, do you have housing or do you have difficulty accessing healthcare and, and things like that. Um, uh, do you have any mental health or addiction issues and then if, if anything like that so it was kind of it could define either way so it looked like um, even those individuals that didn't have mental health or addiction um, or that they they couldn't define them for themselves they didn't seem to have any um, even those individuals if they had started to have an addiction or mental health or trying to support somebody else they still didn't know what to do um, yeah so and and looking around so it kind of it, it brought us to like well how can we how can we fix this and we've been working really hard in our city especially i find that we are putting a lot into trying to raise awareness and stigmas and find like actual act, active solutions to these things um but again the same same issues are coming up of um, gaps in services um continuity of care um feeling marginalized um, and, and finding access without feeling as though someone's looking at you with maybe a mental health or addiction issue mm -hmm. as opposed to you being someone that's trying to meet your health needs. So mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's like any research. One question always leads to another question. There's always another why to ask. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's crazy how it's just been ongoing. And so um, I'm actually involved um, in it. So my other partner, she's also an LPN and she also, <laughs> she had started her own nonprofit organization. Um, it's harm reduction uh, based. It's Indigo Harm Reduction. I know she wouldn't mind that shout out. There. Yeah, of course. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, she, she's actually involved with that too. And then we have a third a, a patient uh, partner as well. So she's kind of been, you know, telling us like her ideas, her, her perspective, and then um, kind of giving us maybe an introduction into um, people that may want to tell us more about, you know, what they need in, in that area and stuff. So we're just, we're basically open to listening to all sides of everything. That's fantastic. What great leadership um, roles you and Shelby, who I know you're talking about. <laughs> I've reached out to her too, so I hope she gets back to me for an interview um, because I know she's doing great stuff in the community as well. But the leadership that you guys have just naturally put upon yourselves, you identified a gap and you're like, I need to do something about this. You didn't wait for somebody else to tell you or invite you in. You just took your role, your scope, your knowledge, and you started to do something to make a change. Yeah. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Go ahead. It feels really good doing that, and it took me a long time to realize that I could do more with what I have. I, I'm not just stuck in a, in a role that was defined. It's, you can take your education and expand upon it. Um, I do a lot of professional development too, so um, I'm always trying to at least stay on top of things and, and find out the latest and greatest and stuff, so it really makes a difference in um, trying to think outside the box, I guess, and trying to think outside of what you're capable of doing. Yeah, and so I'm assuming there's a connection, maybe not a linear connection to timeline, but a connection to the political drive that you have as well. Yeah, so it was very interesting. There was obviously, like in Alberta here, our, just our political climate was kind of all up in the air. Um, and I've always been very active politically, mm -hmm. um, but I started to get more involved because what I'm finding in the health industry is that um, a lot of it is coming down to budget. And then, so again, I started asking the question, like, why is the budget the way it is? Who defines who allocates the funds? Where is this money coming from? Who's actually who's actually paying? We all we think is the taxpayer pays for this health care, and then there it seems like we're divided into how that money should be spent anyway. So it wasn't necessarily coming all the way from a community setting, but it was definitely just looking at, I guess, who's actually making these decisions who's qualified to make these decisions and so that kind of led me to where I actually I, I am upgrading um, my education right now and it's leading me to those individuals who actually work behind the leadership team um, based on research and development um, global worldwide studies as opposed to what we think is actually happening so um, yeah, it's very eye-opening. <laughs> there's always a story behind the headline, and there's always a lot of people behind that headline. Yeah, yeah, always. So I'm kind of just trying to find this this trail and see where things are going, and and see if you know, politically, regardless of of your support and in the direction it goes or anything like that. Um, I really just think everyone needs to get involved and ask those questions. Um, stop listening and start start asking the questions yourself. Um, That's what I loved about you when you were running for, was it an MLA position? Yeah, it was an MLA position, yeah. Yeah, when you were running for that, like we have different um, groups that we support, but we have a lot of same values. And I know that, that the group doesn't define the values, um, like they're not necessarily separate, they're just different in how they approach them. But I always loved how you were open and available to just have an honest conversation and a respectful conversation. You didn't push anything, you weren't trying to push others away or into a certain area, you were just like, let's talk about it. And that yeah. really reflects here today. You're like, I just want to know the why. I want to keep asking questions. Yeah, yeah. So that was like very eye-opening. So at the time, like it, you could either put yourself all out there or you could not, I guess. Um, 
in my, I wasn't in it to win. Um, I kind of just did it on a, I don't know who else I'd want in there right now. So yeah. kind of it. And so I think people are thinking that a politician is someone that we need to define um, who they are. If they're a lawyer, if they're, that's not who it is. Um, if you want a certain kind of voice in there, we need to put a voice in there and that's up to us. So um, feel free everyone, go and go and sit on your political boards, go volunteer. Um, there's lots of board positions opening across Alberta through all the parties right now. Um, and it's a very good way um, to get experience, to build connections and to understand the process involved in everything. I think that was a, a very big eye opener to me. I didn't study political sciences, but I do a little bit more research now um, when it comes to those things and try and make, uh, I guess it's not, it's like telling the future when you're, you, you don't know what's going to happen, you really don't, but I'm um, just trying to get involved in the bills and, and the things that are, people are trying to pass and, and things like that. And my, my focus is more like budgetary, I guess. I just like to know where, because obviously I'd like infinite funds for healthcare. <laughs> That's just not a thing. And I, and I actually understand that healthcare is not a very sustainable area at all. Um, and so I guess the platform that I was kind of running on was how can I create sustainability while keeping this universality idea and um, accessible healthcare and increasing uh, positive outcomes without increasing costs. So that was kind of my area, which is huge to huge take job. on because it's, impo it's almost impossible, but I feel like, I feel like Alberta has a very good um, setup and climate for it. Um, I'm just hoping more people start to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Well, and those are all really good. Um, you're right. Those are big goals. I mean, you get overwhelmed with those big goals. But when you break it down, now I will tell you that when, when that last election was coming through, my husband and I were on different sides of the table. He was on your side, <laughs> which was yep. fine. And we would have some really good conversations because I would challenge him to go past the headlines. And I think in our society, we're such a headline um, culture that nobody looks to see where's that coming from, what's the validity, what does it involve, what will it take to get there, who's at risk, who's not, who's gonna, you know. And once he would start to look past his headlines, because you know, we'd have some head to head some days, we'd have some really rich conversations about what that really meant for us. Yeah, exactly. And then you're like, what does that mean? And then the definitions like, yeah, it's it was really hard this last go. Like I, I feel like a lot of people just couldn't find where they actually were fitting. And I that's no one's fault that's just um the, that's just the selection that we had to go on right so but yeah me and my friends too we're nurses um teachers and then we have the other spectrum oil and gas workers and you know um changes there so it was just the conversations were always really good um and you know we're all we're all friends at the end of the day with it too and we just have these discussions and so we'll, we'll see how it goes we have a good good chunk of time to see but I definitely think like keep the pressures on your your provincial leaders your city leaders your um, federal leaders like yeah keep the pressures on them so that they're answering the questions and they're not going to say anything mm -hmm. regardless of who you voted for really yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and so while, while politics isn't like your main drive in nursing I think the two complemented each other well when you were going ahead with a platform you understood one side of the business really well and that's kind of what you're focusing on but let's get back to the nursing now in the clinic so you have this other this other position you are a busy girl working in a clinic in a large hospital here in the city in hepatology and gastrointestinal yes. healthcare. so talk a little bit about that that's like these are three different spectrums to you 
It is huge, yeah. Um, so I kind of just fell into that. I, I obviously started my career in like the casual, you're casual, you're working way, your way up in, in the system. You want to build your experience and your skills. You want to understand people and and the healthcare system itself and, and your role and what it is going to be looking like um, in that facility. Mm-hmm. So I, I came to this very busy unit that I had no idea the extent that was, and I, and I stayed there. It was a very good, um, really good working conditions. Um, the staff were always very supportive and I think the staff were so supportive because it, it wasn't my typical medicine unit. Um, it was very specialized. There was a lot of very specific things to know, um, protocols, lab work, um, on call the OR kind of regimes and stuff that were different for a few different areas. So um, the gastroenterology side of it, um, lots of procedures, um, very involved with the physicians. Um, we're all, <laughs> we're just, we're very close because of, I guess, um, the acuity of the patient. So my patients are always very young, up and live um, types of patients, but with very like um, silent, but like critical and debilitating chronic disease. So a Things lot you of can't see. You can't see. So, uh, you know, I'll get a, a, a 30 year old in in tears and with no one understanding on the outside in the community about what's going on because you can't see it mm-hmm. um and so and, and these are lifelong uh, chronic illnesses so that affect work and play and and your social life and, and things like that so that was one side of it and having to work with with individuals that were so young and independent and, and being involved in in life altering diagnoses that um you know for the for the most part you managed but um always just I, I see my patients on a yearly basis at least for a little bit here and there so I would get very close you just see you see the same people coming in because they need the treatments and they need the hospitalization to manage it um and then the hepatology side of things um that's where I work with a lot of pre and post transplant patients for liver um, and so the acuity there is extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you get everything from um, the ETOH uh, cirrhosis. Um, you get to see all the different kinds of hepatitis, not just the hep A, B, and C's. Um, there's a there's whole. More. <laughs> there's, more, there's more, and like, what does that do to the liver, and where does it stem from, where does it come from? Um, a lot of my patients on that side are also very young. Um, the way that transplant works, um, the criteria for it, um, mm-hmm. just medications involved and, and signs and symptoms and, and little things, changes and lab values and stuff. So it's very, uh, it was a huge, huge learning curve there. Um, and just trying to understand um, everything involved and it's very complicated. So um, essentially on that side of things, we'll get individuals with um, most that, that have, it'll either be uh, chronic or there'll be the need for transplant where we're awaiting. So they'll come in with illness, we'll, we'll maintain, get them back to baseline while they're awaiting transplant, uh, work them up for transplant. Um, and then if there's any complications after transplant um, throughout, then we, we receive them back. They will always come back to the hospital that they received transplant at. and so. I see a lot of different people there because obviously I get most of um, well, West, Western Canada 
Um, we'll get a little bit from, from the East, like we, just transplant is really complicated on um, who, like where the border is, I guess. Um, so obviously we'll work, uh, we do a lot of transplant there. So we'll get individuals from um, different provinces, um, the territories, things like that. So um, yeah, it's very, very diverse. So it's been keeping me on my toes for sure. Both of those specialties sound amazing and interesting. And both of them make me think of why I love medicine, <laughs> because it's like a puzzle. You know, when I did all my surgical rotations and ortho and all that stuff, those are great things to see externally, as you mentioned, that your services are all internal issues where people can't see it. And you really have to be putting together the labs, the x-rays, the diagnostics, your assessments, your findings, to really figure out what's going on and find the best way forward for them. I love medicine for that reason. So for any of our listeners who like doing puzzles, medicine might be where you want to go. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, endless, endless. Endless, yeah. So let's see what do we have. Maybe another 10 minutes with you. So maybe let's just dig into the, the transplant a little bit more. I think for those who are listening, they might find that the most interesting, not that GI isn't, but uh, we don't often speak to a lot of transplant nurses. So let's just talk a little bit more some of those. You mentioned the hepatitis, the liver. And I certainly know I've, I've been a part of it from the ICU side where we've had a living donor and what we have to do to package them up and keep them alive and get them ready for donating. And now here we've got somebody on the other side and I know people in my life who have also had to have transplants. And so I know a little bit about the patient side, but maybe tell me a little bit more about your role, how you organize your day, how you prioritize, what kind of things happen that make life stressful in your unit yeah so i think um we just get to know our patients um inside and out we we typically we'll see them they'll slowly come in for longer longer durations um obviously because you are needing transplant and and the body just can't hold and sustain you as well as some of the medications and treatments and assistance that you can get in the hospital so um eventually when it comes time closer to your transplant time you, you are typically in hospital if if it's uh, for acute reasons um, there are times where you are really just sitting at home and being called in for transplant um, and then we do the quick uh, pre-medications and and worksheets and, and things like that um, on the fly the day before but you've already been worked up but um, then there's those that are acutely actively ill in hospital with me and so we get the family side, we get the patient side, and then um, we get the ongoing, um, I guess the active symptoms that go along with needing transplant. Um, and, and it's terrifying explaining those things to families. Um, and I think you shared a video one time and it was actually, it obviously made me cry because any nursing video makes me cry. Um, and it's what you shared um, and it was about, I guess, being um, like the family perspective of just needing to know that you're doing everything you possibly can. Um, and so with transplant, it's always hard because I can never guarantee anything, but I can tell them, you know, signs and symptoms of more of a decline in their family member. And so to put that in a way where I'm recognizing it and um, treating it and telling them exactly what I'm doing, um, it really helps the families. But yeah, it's definitely, uh, something it's very hard to, to explain but the deterioration of someone that needs transplant um, when they're hospitalized or waiting for it so you're holding the live donor down in ICU but I'm holding a patient that's essentially 
the more deteriorating health is going to get that one that you're holding on to. So, mm -hmm. and there's also, there's always sometimes, no, there's always sometimes, well, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> sometimes patients are prepped and ready to go for transplant and then something happens and they don't get to go. Yeah. How do you manage that? I mean, on a personal professional level, but also with your patients. Um, so yeah, I've, I've had individuals on three dry runs and sent home every time. Yeah, it's um, so heartbreaking. Yeah, and then I've had patients where, you know, they aren't expecting that it's going to be theirs and they're expecting it to just be the dry run and go home and, and that that isn't the case. And then I, you know, and I'll have three or four patients at one time and I'm like, which one is it going to be, right? Um, so it's really hard to tell an individual like it's not going, but um, I usually just tell them from a medical perspective, um, there's reasons why you didn't get it and it would be for the best reasons possible. Um, a lot of the times we don't actually know what that liver that we're gonna put into somebody else is going to be. So I tell them like, not only we have to do what's best for you, and 100% of the time we have a duty to make sure that that organ is getting treated as an individual as well. So um, we wanna make sure that the best match is happening. So match doesn't just happen on one end, the match has to happen on the other end as well. We have to make sure that we're we're creating success for the new liver and the individual. So um, that's usually how I explain it to individuals. And and I'm never told where the liver goes. Well, sometimes I'm, to, I'm told where the liver, um, if the liver's had to go to an emergency case or or if the liver wasn't wasn't a viable liver. Um, but that's that's usually it's it's one of those two things. So no one ever wants to hear that it went to somebody else or anything like that. But the reality is we we do we're very like upfront and we don't tell them we don't actually know at the time. We usually find out like weeks weeks later or something like that because we'll find out it was another patient or something like that. But um, we do tell them like this this is what happens with transplant um, and it's not a competition to be like who is sicker. It's just a component of matching the best um, possible success. Yeah, together. So yeah. we're looking for success. So it's not, it doesn't come down to usually what people think it is. It's really just creating success. And it, it so many things go into those matches. Um, it's not just, it's not just health status um, or anything like that. So families, I've, I've never really had um, a family that's been so upset. They're usually very understanding. Some of my patients have been very disappointed and have been on the list for years and years. Wow. Um, yeah, in and out of hospital, just waiting because they're, you know, actively as outpatient treating their symptoms, um, coming in, coming out, you know, but but they're waiting and they're still, they're still holding on and still able to go home. And so um, I just tell them like, you know, live, live, live your best life. Um, be healthy, do the things you want, um, be with your family, be with your friends. Um, don't don't live with those regrets or anything like that. Just like, just go and do everything you want. I'll come and see you for some treatment and then we'll have you right back out there. Um, and hopefully the next call I give to you is gonna be the best call of your life. So. It sounds like you deal with that really well. Like you could be my nurse if I needed a transplant because I felt very calm with all of that. <laughs> Yeah, so the, okay. the, yeah, the experience of seeing so many people go through it um, and just everyone expresses things and receives 
the communication differently, but just definitely mm. like, seeing how people are responding to the news um, has definitely been something I've had to learn over time as well on how to deal with things. So my first day on the I did not, I was not that, I was not that nurse. I put that senior nurse there and watched her. <laughs> well, I would like to thank our guest Dakota for sharing an amazing conversation today, talking about community, politics, and working with young adults with chronic conditions. It's been a fascinating journey. Now, if you'd like to hear more about what we talk about after the recording, head on over to nurseminder.com and click on the link Frontline Nursing. There you can see you can join up as a member and you can get behind the scenes access and, and the free downloads created by each guest designed specifically for you. And as always, if you have a story that you would like to share, email me at info at and use the subject line Frontline Nursing. We'd love to share your story.